Uh, morning, everyone. Good to see you. Um, so uh, just uh, just before we start, a uh, quick recap on um, last Sunday evening. For those of you that came to the encounter night, the first one we ran, um, Dan and I didn't really have a plan, really, other than worship and let's see what the Holy Spirit says to us. And it was all about us journeying together and learning more about how we worship as a church family at Redeemer King. So um, actually what happened was, I think, really quite a beautiful thing. Um, uh, quite a powerful moment for us. Uh, I think it was quite a breakthrough moment for us in the church. Um, so just to try and capture a sense of what happened, um, we captured about three quarters of it written down. Because I actually think it was a significant moment for us as a church. And, you know, you can you can use all kinds of rhetoric about stuff like that. And we've probably all heard it over the years. But actually it was. So um, earlier in the week, the previous week, I can't remember how it came about, but I'd been, I'd been musing over, um, I don't even think it was in my readings, I'd just been sort of musing over Exodus 24 where God appears as a, a, like a, this fire, this raging fire at the top of the mountain, his presence had dwelt at the top of the mountain and Moses went to get the law. But um, I was going to mention it on the encounter night and I forgot because I'm a bloke and I've got lots going on and I just like, basically I forgot. But, but thankfully, we have a God who doesn't forget anything. So um, I think Teresa, uh, don't remind me, Teresa brought a word about uh, being, being, in the mount, being up the mountain or something with the Lord. I can't remember specifically what it was, but what was it? Yeah, a picture of a mountain with smoke coming out of it. And, and still, when Teresa gave that word, I didn't remember. But anyway, and then um, Dan, who's gone, he's just been raptured. We all left behind. Oh, no, there he is. Um, so... <laughs> Oh, that was a relief. Just thought for a moment, it all happened. Uh, so uh, Dan then uh, also brought a word from uh, Exodus uh, about about the mountain, and 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 still I didn't remember. <laughs> it's really weird. Anyway, we were worshiping, and and I'd spoken to Dan earlier in the day about a church that I once led, where um, we wanted to go into the next stage of understanding what the things of the spirit. And um, while I've been driving down to the church that afternoon praying. Because we'd, the church had, had some experiences of the Lord you know, in a deep way, but it was sort of waning a bit, because this is what happens. As I was driving down there, I felt the Lord say to me, you've got to go first, you know. So I was telling Dan this story about how I stood up in front of everyone and said, look, we, we all, I think many of us are hungry for this, but you know, I've, I've, we've got to break through, so we've got to go first. So I'd prayed in the tongue in this church and uh, waited on God for an interpretation and stuff, and it had been a beautiful moment in the Lord. So I was just telling Dan this earlier, and I then forgot all about it. And we were sitting in the worship, and um, I just felt this nudge in the spirit, you know, about saying something. So when I started, stood up to start speaking, it all came flooding back. And I thought, do you know what? I've got, it's like deja vu. I've got to do this again. I've just got to make myself vulnerable before the people and, and, and pray in the tongue and then just trust that God's going to give gifts of interpretation and stuff. Uh, and so that's what happened. For those of you who weren't there, I stood up and prayed in the tongue. And uh, we waited on God for an interpretation, and it was, again, a beautiful moment. And um, God just gave us some very specific responses. For me, tongues is a Godward prayer. It's my heart praying to God. And the interpretations came out in that way. It was wonderful. And there's lots of stuff around um, uh, things I've just mentioned, and but this sense of awe of God. There's this, this deep sense of the awe of God, actually, like a, like a sense of holiness and Dan was saying he was like quaking, you know, and other people were, were feeling very tearful and emotional. And it's just a wonderful, not, not hyped, it's just beautiful. 
And then at the end, Chris, we had this lovely time of ministry together and we were praying for people to receive spiritual gifts and God was gracious and people receive spiritual gifts in the church um, which, and have been using them during the week. So it's just wonderful to see that happening. Uh, people who never thought that would happen, you know, in their lives or have been fearful before. So that's just been a great, it's like a breakthrough moment. Then Chris Hall, right at the end of the meeting, stood up and just gave this word which filled me with holy fear, actually. Just said, his word was, you know, uh, to, to encapsulate it, we'll get it, we'll get it written down. Um, uh, it was, you know, you, you leave in Egypt, leave everything behind in Egypt. This is your exodus moment, in a sense. We're heading now to the promised land. Don't, don't stay in Egypt. And uh, it's just amazing the way that Chris put that across. It's a deep sense of the Lord speaking through him, actually, just standing here quietly, you know, the humble way that Chris does, and just, just gently brought this word. But I was sitting there thinking, oh, it's, it's, that is beautiful and frightening at the same time. I was like, dear God, do not let us be a church that stays in Egypt. You know, let's, let's leave it all. And Egypt will mean different things to different people. I understand that. But it was, it was, you know, pursue me now. Let's, let's head to the promised land. Let's, let's not think, ever think we're successful now and just stay here. And we've had this beautiful moment. That is staying in Egypt. And let's keep hungering and thirsting after the Lord. That's, that's what it got to me anyway. I was driving home in the car. And then I remembered the Exodus reading <laughs> that I'd had earlier in the year. I thought, I'd said to Dan when I was giving him a lift home. I thought, oh, it's Exodus 24. God was on the mountain, appeared as a fire. There's all these Exodus things weaving through the whole evening. It was astonishing, actually. So uh, Dan and I have been sort of praying and just thinking it through. We're going to write it all out, and we'll give it to everyone in the church, and we'll, we'll make that available. Because I think that's, that's an appropriate thing to do after an evening like that, is to test these things and then and pray into it and muse on it. And then when we think we've got the clear picture of what the Lord's saying to us, just to give our sense of what the Lord's saying. But I do believe for us last week... Um, it was an exodus moment for us, I think, in terms of journeying deep into the things of the Lord and seeing the church become more passionate about him and pursuing him with every spiritual gift that he's made available to us so we can do the work of the Lord. So we see more people come to Christ and people being healed and chains being broken. We don't want to be a theoretical church where we talk about it and we don't see it happen. And so I think now this is our moment, really, as we worship and we pray and through the week, to seek God. I mean, just praying with Mick, you know, a few of us pray together before the meeting. You're all welcome to come and join in on that, by the way. It's like about 10 to 10, isn't it, John? Something like that. He's very good at rounding me up. Well, I'm always trying to get a cup of tea and waxing lyrical about something happening in a week. So John rounds us up. And uh, we go and pray. And, and, and Mick was praying for the meeting. Oh, just this beautiful prayer without, you know, stay humble. But it's a beautiful prayer, which you will. And it was, uh, you know, oh God, I just, just you know, I want to get spiritual gifts around evangelism and being able to tell people about Jesus. And this week I just feel, you know, I'm just going to tell more people about Jesus. And that, that's, how amazing is that? If that's our prayer as a church, then God will give us all kinds of gifts. If you want gifts just to be self-centered, selfish, experiential Christians, you get nothing. But if you're praying that you want to see chains broken and people getting saved and beautiful things happening in people's lives, he'll give us all kinds of gifts, won't he? Because because our hearts are in the right place, and I felt that was what was happening on the encounter night. And then the next one's in about three weeks' time. And now I know you won't want to miss it. And that was not an advert. It's just what happened. I thought I just we just felt Dan and I that it'd be good to to bring that out before you are. This this 
I, you know, I just musing on the passage today, hungering and thirsting for righteousness. And we'll read through the passage like we have been, just to build up to it. I'm just during a week of bombing around the country and going into meetings, some great meetings and some really bad ones, old disciplinary meetings, all this sort of stuff. You think, you cannot, without all the busyness and stuff that's happening in life, you can't manufacture a hunger and thirst for righteousness, can you? I can't beat your heads up today and say, hunger and thirst for righteousness, and you'll go and do it. You know, I, I, could, I could speak with passion, but unless it's stirred up from somewhere deep within us, unless we tap into something of the Lord, you know, you cannot make Christians hunger and thirst perpetually for righteousness. It has to be something that the Lord does in our lives. Even passion can ebb and flow, can't it? I mean, those of you that are married will know that passion can ebb and flow. My own Valentine's Day has been slightly shipwrecked by lady flu. Uh, not, I have not got lady flu, but my wife has. So um, uh, for those of you that have been worried if she's got dengue fever or something, she hasn't. It's far worse. It's lady flu. Uh, but she's been ill for about three weeks now. But that uh, selfishly means that... Um, well, actually, it's quite good. I'm, I was going to cook dinner. Can't see the point now. I might get a takeout. Happy days. It's all good, isn't it? So... Uh, there you go. But you can, you know, passion ebbs and flows, isn't it? In life. But this deep sense of hunger and thirsting for righteousness, as we read, that, that's something different. So, uh, Matthew 5, when Jesus saw the crowds, he went up onto a mountainside and sat down. And his disciples came to him and he began to teach them. He said, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of God. And we looked at that. We're looking at this verse by verse. Blessed are those who mourn. Poor old Jim is the inaugural sermon. After years of being a preacher, 40 years of ministry, what do we give him? The, the, the one that's shipwrecked. You know, blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Sorry about that, mate, but, um, you know, uh, there you go. That's the way it is. Suck it up. Uh, blessed, <laughs> blessed, blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. And Dan, Dan got blessed are the meek. That's the Lord's humor, isn't it? That's good. And then he said it himself. And then this week. Is this the Lord's humour again? Maybe. Blessed are those who are hungry and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Interesting, isn't it? You've got the first, the first few there, all kind of about being empty, really. You know, poor in spirit, mourning, meekness. They've got almost like a, a like a, a gentle, passive kind of thing about emptying yourself and brokenness and before the Lord and then this middle one here this is about being filled blessed are those who are hungry and thirst for righteousness for they will be filled and as I said you can't manufacture it it's interesting isn't it the old imagery there around hunger and thirsting um, obviously you know um, if you don't eat or drink uh, you die uh, facts. Um, don't need medical experts to tell me that. I think we have a few doctors in the house, so I, I think they'll confirm that's true. Uh, if you eat and drink far too much, you die. I think that's a fairly established fact. It's amazing really how the Lord's built these mechanisms into our body. Uh, you know, it's like being hungry and thirsty is probably like God's gentle warning system saying, you know, if you do this in a balanced way, you'll just sort of tickle on quite nicely. But if you go out of balance with it, be a bit of a nightmare. And that's true, isn't it? But it's like God's warning system to us. I think probably what we're seeing here 
is Jesus saying to us, well, there's a spiritual system in operation here as well. I put something within you that will hunger and thirst for me. And, and it can go wrong, just like it can with KFC and too much whiskey. No, it can go wrong because of the human condition, because of sin, all the stuff in our lives that distorts us. So there is the well-known theory. I think Calvin really came up with this idea first of the seed of God being put within us. There's these brilliant books called uh, by Calvin Institutes, and, and they're, they're really thick and really massive, and they're really complicated, but there's this one bit in it that's really good, and it says that. So now you don't need to read it. It's fantastic. And, 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 it, and he basically talks about the, the seed of God that's within us, this, this bit that ignites, that recognizes that God is there. Like, it's inconceivable, isn't it, really, that God would make us, love us, look on us, and just, just love us, you know, uh, fashion our lives, and then leave us to flounder around trying to find him. That, that would be a bit wicked. That would be wicked if God did that, but he didn't. He put something in us, but it can get distorted. So you see people spinning off into all kinds of things. I can remember years ago when I'd first become a Christian, I was sitting at home in, in my old armchair at a student house in Coventry, and I had this real kind of um, I, this sadness and I've been I've been having a bit of prayer time uh I hate the word quiet time it feels like ugh. anyway I've been having a it just feels really passive and horrible so I've been having a bit of time with the Lord that's better isn't it I don't like the word retreat either so I'm, I mean I think it's a good concept but the British Army never retreats does it tactically withdraws such a bad word for blokes anyway so I've been having a bit of time with the Lord and I was consumed with this sort of sadness inside I was like, wow, just feel just just sorrowful, which is not really my personality, as you might sort of pick up over the years. Not, I'm sort of a, an eternal optimist, really. And I was feeling this sadness. And deep in the quietness, just felt the Lord say to me, well, you're homesick. You're not home yet. Which is true, isn't it? Like this, this life, one day it'll be like we woke up from a dream. Oh, often you might have heard me say that before. I've really believed that, I think. There's this longing inside us for the Lord. But we see the kingdom now. Things happen around us. Spiritual gifts are given. People get born again. Beautiful things. But the kingdom is not yet. So there's suffering and pain and things go wrong. Life can go wrong. We can get ill and relationships break down and horrible things happen. And people die before their time because the kingdom is now, but it is yet to come. And so there's something within us that longs for the Lord. You ever have moments like that? Maybe some of you have. Just like in worship just now, that last song, I just want more of the Lord in my life, but it almost feels unobtainable. So there's this brilliant passage in uh, Ecclesiastes 3.11 that talks about that, that, that God has placed eternity into our hearts. Like we, that, That's where Calvin got his thing for. He's got eternity in our hearts, but we, but we can't fathom it. We can't, we can't quite get there. So what that does spiritually is the same as food. It's our mechanism that God has given us. It keeps us pursuing the Lord. Keeps us searching after him. That's why we come back week after week. Hopefully. That's why we go to home groups. It's why we pray. It's why sometimes the more and more you pursue the Lord, it's why sometimes you'll be driving along and you have a bit of worship music on, you have tears in your eyes. 
Because it's this longing inside you for the things of God. God has placed eternity into our hearts. Ecclesiastes 3.11. But we can't quite fathom it. We can't quite get there. Now, for those that people who don't know the Lord, um, and there may be one or two people in here this week like that. Uh, that happens for us most weeks. There are people who are searching after the Lord. First thing to say is, that that is God, you know. God has placed something in you to make you pursue him. I was the same. I mean, I, I didn't like the church. I thought it was all a bit weird. I thought Christians were a bit on the psychotic scale. But something kept bringing me back. Because I had this hunger inside. I couldn't quite pin it down. I couldn't fathom it. But I had this hunger inside. But what you often see happen is where people have the Spirit of the Lord resting on them. His Spirit is witnessing to them. Sometimes it can spin off into all other kinds of things because of the human condition. So we try and fill the, what is a spiritual void, This what could be a hunger and thirst for righteousness, becomes something else. So I did do a little Google search on the uh, top 10 things that people uh, in some clinical research said that they were pursuing above all other things. Do you want to have a guess at what some of those things are? What do you think the number one thing was that people were hungering after? Money's on the list, but it wasn't the top one. Oh, relationships was in there, but the first one was love. Ah, I thought it was interesting. Love was the first one, how appropriate for today. Health was on there. Uh, money. Looking good. Seeing a proliferation at the moment of plastic surgery, aren't we? Apparently, you know, and blokes are now overtaking women on having plastic surgery. I think I've got quite a good job done, actually. I think you can't tell, can you? I was quite pleased with that. Uh, losing weight uh, is another one. Learning stuff. People are consuming knowledge. I want knowledge. That is interesting. Living longer. So, interestingly, they could be with their families more for a longer time. That was the actual reason. Uh, safety, comfort, and one of the overwhelming big ones, it wasn't as big as love, but physical pleasure uh, of all kinds. So whether that's sex or drugs or alcohol or, or adrenaline rush, extreme sports, that, that was featured on the list. I thought that was quite interesting. But of course, like, like standard hunger and thirst, it can go wrong. Whereas people can eat and drink too much or starve themselves and go the other way, it can interestingly happen. Excesses can happen in those areas too, can't it? And when that happens, we all know this, it's such a destructive force, it takes people out. So we're seeing an epidemic, aren't we, of depression and suicide and alcohol-related problems and drug-related problems and all this kind of stuff just spreading through society at the moment. I mean, it's, it's almost like what goes around comes around. I don't quite believe that from a biblical point of view because things will come to an end and the Lord will come back. But it's almost a bit Roman. Don't you feel that? It's like Roman society almost. We just eat, drink and make merry for tomorrow we die. Let's just shove more stuff down our necks. Let's just shove more stuff into our lives. Let's get more sex, more alcohol, more kebabs. 
more extreme sports. Let's invent some crazy stuff. Let's have new game shows where we drop people off a cliff and see if they live. Let's just do stuff. You know, or, or we get massively into like toxic talk shows where everyone wants to kill each other. And we sit there going, yeah, it's brilliant, that one, yeah. Because it's like, what we're trying to do is we're trying to satisfy this thing, this, this craving for something deeper, and it don't work. It's just taking society down a nightmare path. Absolutely like shipwrecking and trashing people's lives. Oh, I see it in my, in my new work all the time. People have been trashed by stuff. And they're beautiful people who just seen them being redeemed now, but their lives were shipwrecked and trashed by this stuff, by the toxic pursuit of, 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 of just trying to fill this hole, this thing. Now, if you're sitting here today and you think, well, I've suffered with that. I mean, I, before meeting the Lord, I was, I was going down that path. Really, I was intercepted by the Lord. You know, if you sit and you think, oh, I've, I've tinkered with that, I've felt that, or even as a Christian, I've not pursued the Lord. Actually, in the secret places, I'm pursuing something else. I guarantee you, we're not satisfied. It will chew you up, spit you out, and hurt you. It will absolutely hurt you. Your sin takes you to places you don't want to go. And it spits you out. There is one appointed to roam the earth and destroy lives. We believe there's an enemy set against us. He uses all kinds of wickedness and evil to trash your life. And that's what he does. You see evidence of it all over the place. And then we have one who's a redeemer, Jesus. He says it doesn't have to be like this. Hunger and thirst for righteousness and you'll be filled. We don't need this other stuff. You know, I've had a couple of emails lately from people in the church who have been experiencing more of the Lord. It's been brilliant just saying, I just never felt I could have joy like this. And these are people in their 40s and 50s saying, I never felt, never believed this could happen. Not stop smiling, not stop feeling joy. And it's persisted in people because they've been pursuing the Lord and he's been filling them. It's deeply biblical. There's this thing called the law of diminishing returns which we need to really watch. Now, the more and more you go after something that doesn't satisfy, the more and more you need more of that stuff that's not satisfying. You just pursue it more. You know, take one thing, you know, you have a little bit of alcohol to steady your nerves and you think, oh, I'm a little bit more, you know. And then before you know it, some people, if they've got an addictive personality, six months later, they're whacking a bottle of red wine down their necks over their cornflakes. Doing half a bottle of whiskey for breakfast. You know, I've done a lot of work with people who have been struggling with drugs and alcohol over the years. And that's what happens. And it started off by uh, a, wee, a wee dram after church. I'm not against alcohol. I like having a glass of wine or a beer with me mates. But you have to watch it. Don't get a grip on you, don't you? It's a law of diminishing returns. You start looking at porn, soft porn, it'll take you down another route. Because it stops satisfying. So you want more and more and more. You get into an adrenaline sport. You think, oh, I'll just take up. Down here, mountain biking is my poison. And before you know it, you're taking up skydiving without a parachute. <laughs> That's what happens to some people. It's a law of diminishing returns. Suddenly, things aren't satisfying, so you get used to it. Now, I like roller coasters. This is a silly throwaway uh, illustration. I love that feeling. I like the one at Orton Towers called Oblivion, when it, it drags you up and then it hangs you over the edge of the hole. 
then it, like you you just plummet down this hole like 80 miles an hour or whatever it is and you're going first time you do it you're going <laughs> you're totally scared fifth time you're doing it you're having a chat on the way down you know Oh yeah, did you did you get the milk from Tesco? No, I I meant that. Oh God, yeah, I've got no milk at home. Oh, did you get the tea bags? <laughs> like that. She suddenly got used to it. Boring. Amazing the ability in human nature, just to get satisfied with things. It gets worse and worse and worse. It's a brilliant C.S. Lewis quote I got off the web. If I find myself, I didn't read it out of a book. I'd like to say I did, but I got it off Google. If I find myself a desire which no experience in this world can satisfy, the most probable explanation is that I was made for another world. So if you are sitting here today and deep in you is this longing and you've been plugging it with other stuff and it ain't working and you're finding it's just causing all kinds of grief in your life, and you could be a believer in the Lord Jesus and be having that in the background. I absolutely guarantee you, it'll cheer you up and spit you out. The only way through it is to submit yourself to the Lord Jesus Christ. Consider your life a living sacrifice for him, and you will be filled. So the question is, really, uh, what is righteousness? So what is this thing that we hunger and thirst after? And how, how do we even go about that? The best way to do that is to actually look at where Jesus talks about righteousness and then try and get some pointers. So it also appears in this passage here, and I'm not going to speak on this beatitude because it might be my sermon another time or someone else's, so that's not fair. But what we do see in verse 10 is it says, blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness. Now, that obviously means, there's a little giveaway there, that it's something that's visible, that, that people can see. Because it, it creates a reaction in some people which may cause your martyrdom. Suddenly no one wants to hunger and thirst for it anymore, do they? Also, in Matthew 6.1, Jesus says this, Be careful not to practice your righteousness in front of others to be seen by them. So clearly there's actions involved. Uh, it says things like giving to the needy. Don't announce it with trumpets, it says. As the hypocrites do. They've received their reward in full. But when you give to the needy, don't let, what you, don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing so that your giving is in secret. And it talks about prayer. When you pray, don't be like the hypocrites. They love to stand on the street corners. And it talks about fasting and generosity and not storing up treasures in heaven, but seeking the Lord. It talks about not worrying and judging others. So, it begins to hint, when you, when you link up what righteousness is, it begins to link to an overt lifestyle, which is pretty much akin, I would say, to counter-cultural living, i.e. it's a life that pleases the Lord. So then you have to deduce, what is it that pleases the Lord? So uh, one of my favorite passages in Scripture is Romans 12. So I'd like you just to turn with this to me, uh, with me, turn with this to me. Turn with this with me. It's been a long week. I've had a few early starts. Give me some slack. So, Romans 12, uh, verse 1. I, do you know what? I, this verse here is such a, a beautiful call to living for Jesus. You know, there are many verses that I'd like to point over this church, but I think this is just an amazing one for disciples. 
Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you'll be able to test and prove what God's will is. His good, pleasing and perfect will. Offer yourselves as living sacrifices. All your hopes, all your dreams, all your ambitions, your golf handicap, just submit it all to the Lord. Make your life a living sacrifice to see his purposes worked out. In whatever sphere of influence you have, wherever the Lord has appointed you to be, because we believe that, don't we? Wherever you are, the Lord has appointed you to be there. You work it out in fear and trembling. You, you offer where God has appointed you in fear and trembling as a living sacrifice to the Lord Jesus Christ. That's how we live our lives. Imagine if we all truly live like that, how beautiful the world would be. These Christians shining like stars in a lost world, giving everything they've got to the Lord. And then it comes out in verse 9 how we do it. And I've preached on this before, but it's like a beautiful picture. As often say, you don't, you don't keep changing your pictures on your wall every week, do you? Keep looking at it again, and eventually it soaks in, doesn't it? So let's have a look at Romans 12, verse 9. This is counter-cultural living. Love must be sincere. Hate what is evil. Cling to what is good. Be devoted to one another in love. Honour one another above yourselves. Never be lacking in zeal. Keep your spiritual fervour serving the Lord. Be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer. Share the Lord's people who are in need. Practice hospitality. That pleases the Lord. Being generous and opening your home up. Making cupcakes for people. He loves it. He does. Opening your home up sacrificially. Bless those who persecute you. Bit more tricky. Loving people who are giving you a hard time. I'm telling you, you don't have to pursue the Lord long with all your heart before people start getting a bit chippy about you. They get all chipped up and angry. And to get on your knees and love them back in prayer and in practice is a beautiful thing to the Lord. He loves it. Bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Mourn with those who mourn. Live in harmony with one another. Don't be proud, but be willing to associate with your people of low position. Don't be conceited. Do humble things. Don't repay anyone evil for evil. Do you know that? Don't be conceited. I just really pouring over Galatians six fourteen this week. You know, I, I will not boast in anything except the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ. You know, for which I have been crucified in the world to me. Like the world considers me nothing, and I consider the pleasures of this world nothing. I'll only ever boast in the Lord Jesus Christ, in his cross. What a beautiful way to live your life. You're not worried about all your insecurities and what people think about you and how great you are. and Just live like that. Don't repay evil for evil. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everyone. As far as it is, depends on you, live at peace. Don't take revenge. And so it goes on. If your enemy's hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him something to drink. In doing this, you heap burning coals on his head. Don't think that as a spin-off benefit. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. So I, I, I just wrote down on this scrap of paper. I thought, what does that, what does that look like? Well, I think it's like living a life that's thankful. There's a lot of power in being thankful in all things. Because I think the world wants us to be miserable and complaining. 
You don't need to hang out in society for long and people are whinging. People bump their gums about all kinds of things all the time, don't they? Well, I think for Christians, we don't do that because we, we've offered ourselves as living sacrifices. We live with thankfulness. It pleases the Lord. He sees it as righteous. We live with grace. We overlook an insult. You forgive people. You give people the benefit of doubt. You believe the best. Forgive people quickly. Don't, don't bear a grudge. It pleases the Lord. It's righteous living. Let other people win sometimes. I mean it. You know, I've got a little bit of a competitive streak. We're dying off more and more. The more and more I get older, actually, the more and more I can't compete. It becomes easier. Lose an argument. There's an idea. Lose an argument. I think the Lord sees that as righteous living. Everyone wants to win an argument. Let someone nick your parking space. That's a good one. <laughs> you preached on it. Have it back. In other words, you know, suck up an insult. Chill out. Consider your life nothing compared to the cross and what the Lord has done for you. Go around seeking to be a blessing. Overflow with generosity. You know, the most happiest people I ever meet are the most generous ones. Really. They just always seem to be happy. You want to know the secret of happiness? It ain't self-help books and Paul McKenna hypnotism rubbish. Give your stuff away. Bless the poor. Please the Lord. Live in a countless spirit and you will be filled. Guarantee it. First one is right living. Second point briefly is right standing before the Lord. And I think that's this Galatians 6 verse 14 stuff. I will not boast in anything except the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ. And I, I, would, I would strongly suggest you muse on a passage like Psalm 139 right at the end where it says, see if there is any offensive way in me and leave me, lead me in the way everlasting. I think actually I'm not a big one at looking at all your past hurts and problems and pain. I mean, sometimes it's a necessary thing. Um, but I'm a, I'm a big one for being, keeping your heart sweet before the Lord, actually. I think the best self-help therapy you can get is no, the Lord loves you and has forgiven you. And you're walking in his love and grace and forgiveness is, is a wonderful way to see your life prosper, actually. To keep short accounts with the Lord. I remember this moment where I was feeling the intensity of the Lord's presence over a period of time. Just wanted to cry all the time, actually, and keep worshipping him. This is really, as I was being called into ministry years ago, I just kept crying all the time. It was really embarrassing. It turns out when this bloke fit windows kept crying all the time on him. It's really weird. And I said to the Lord, you know, I never want to lose this. I never want to lose what I'm feeling here while this, the Lord was calling me. And I know that some of you are experiencing this, actually. And uh, I just felt God say, you know, I'll try and picture this. Uh, if you want me this close, I'm right with you. you know, keep short accounts with me. And, and I've tried to make it something of a habit without becoming religious, of, of thanking God for the things he did yesterday and asking forgiveness for the things that I offended him with. And I find that my early drive to work is a good time for that. I actually think it pleases the Lord when we thank him for things without asking for things. Uh, it's a very hard thing to do because we're conditioned to asking for stuff in our prayer life. 
but to thank him for all the mercies he's shown us and the good things that are happening. Even the fact that you, you had Mabel to have breakfast, I think, you know, it pleases the Lord to thank him for provision. And to say sorry and seek forgiveness for the things that have caused him offence. It's righteous living, that, you know. You hunger and thirst after the Lord in that way, he'll fill you up with his spirit. You'll know an incomparable joy, I absolutely guarantee it. But, just as a word of warning, in terms of right living and right standing, I want to bring us right back to the start when I said you can hunger and thirst, you can eat too much or starve yourself and it can all go wrong. The same can happen when churches or individuals pursue righteousness, when they start hungering and thirsting for the Lord. can go a bit odd. So you can go down, for instance, like Oliver Cromwell went down, he loved the Lord. They went around slaughtering people and destroying stuff, but he did love the Lord. Apparently his armies all used to pray in the spirit before they went to battle. He used to pray in tongues and prophesy over each other and then go and slaughter people. It can go wrong, can't it? And he went around the country destroying places of worship because he, he went against opulence. He, 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 he burnt church organs. No bad thing, some people might say. But as he went down ransacking cathedrals, he trashed Gloucester Cathedral, for example. It has this fine organ in it. He tried to destroy it because he wanted to go down this Puritan route of getting rid of anything that seemed excessive in his pursuit of righteousness. In his pursuit of righteousness, he killed joy and happiness, which is a mistake. You can do that. You can do the spiritual equivalent of starving yourself in terms of right living and right standing before the Lord. And that would be a mistake. We do not want to do that. What we want is a genuine overflow of hearts for the Lord. We want to see him working through us and seeing people becoming followers of Jesus and chains being broken around people's lives. And the church, a place where we're family and we actually genuinely love being together, which I believe we do. And we're celebrating all the good things that God's doing and we mourn together when things are going wrong and we put an arm around each other in the tough times. We lift each other up in the good times. We have this countless spirit. So people hear about our church. We never say a bad word about anyone. Just that church, don't moan, it just blesses. If we hear someone bad-mouthing us, well, we give them a gift. The Lord bless you, believe in you. That's how we respond. And we're known for that. The core members of this church family, we're known for countless spirit living. We don't go the way of the world. We're generous. We enjoy life. Pursue the Lord. We keep his name on our lips. We celebrate in the good times. We commiserate in the bad times. We just love the Lord. And we hunger and thirst after him. Wouldn't it be amazing if also this church is known where this, you know, you want to feel the presence of the Lord. You want to go to one of their connect groups or you just want to hang out with one of them because they love the Lord Jesus so much. You know, just pursuing him with this hunger. And you can't manufacture it. It has to come from within. It has to come from your desire to want more of him. And just to remind you, if you are sitting here thinking, actually, my life is going down a path where I'm being trashed, I've just given you your way out. I've told you your way out. And it's to recognize that Jesus died for you, to break the chains, and rose again. He defeated death and hell. And all the wickedness and evil that's trying to trash it, completely slaughtered it, so you can have life in all its fullness. And one day we go home. 
and we won't be homesick anymore. It's a longing of our hearts would have been satisfied. That would be a beautiful moment, won't it? And one day we will go home to be with the Lord and we will go home together. It will be as if we've woken up from a dream but we pray that one day our friends are there and our family members are there. and We're celebrating because we've seen the Lord do amazing things because we hungered and we thirsted after him.